computers. This is Intelligent Performance. Welcome to the Intelligent Performance Podcast, where we are fanatical about excellence and champions of ambition. Today, we welcome Gary Mansfield, an accomplished business leader and someone who's really run the gamut of business, from serving as a senior executive in a large multinational enterprise, through being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, business owner, and navigating a merger, and eventually selling and achieving an exit from his business. We delve deep into the often misunderstood concepts and world of entrepreneurship, exploring the pathways and pitfalls along the way. Gary also sheds light on the intricacies of building a successful team, the essentials of thriving as an entrepreneur, and the art of successful mergers and acquisitions. There are some real gems in this conversation, so I'm excited to share with you. Let's dive straight in. Where I'd really like to kick off today is your career as an entrepreneur. And I'm really curious, what was the kind of light bulb moment or the the catalyst when you knew or you decided you wanted to become an entrepreneur? Um, well, thank you for having me on the show, by the way. I guess really the light bulb moment was there. I had an uncle. Uh, unfortunately, he's, he's dead now because I'm getting old. People tend to do that. But I was about eight years old when I realised he actually didn't do a job in the classic sense. You know, like my, my my close relatives, they all worked for other people. But he had his own business. And it was a really, really simple business. He was paint spraying. But we were sitting there one evening because I used to kind of dote on this guy. He was just such a fun person to be around. And he had me actually doing some work. As some prep for his business so you know eight years old he wasn't he wasn't being kind of weird and he wasn't paying me for it but he was giving me advice and he said one thing to me which really stuck and he said you'll never get rich working for somebody else mm. and that thing really stuck in my mind because yeah i was an eight-year-old and even then i wanted stuff and yeah i'm, I'm thinking in the, in the in the realms of brown 10 shilling notes as they were in the uk at the time <laughs> Yeah, it was that, I guess. And I never really got the idea or the um, catalyst to it until many years later when, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it later when I became an entrepreneur first. Interesting. I guess it's it's amazing what seeds can be planted at whatever age and they might not be nurtured and watered maybe till you know, much later in your life. But it's it's funny you remember that so clearly, isn't it? Yeah. Eight years old. Amazing. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump into that a little bit. So, you know, became an entrepreneur having been an entrepreneur and maybe you could just elaborate a little bit i think you used to work for mars people know it well as a confectionery company and you worked for mars as an entrepreneur initially but, but but tell us about entrepreneurship i'm interested to know from your perspective what do you think people get wrong about being an entrepreneur well i think the first thing i'd like to start with is what my definition of an entrepreneur is yeah because don't agree with Wikipedia and a lot of the other things that you Google about what an entrepreneur is. And but they talk about somebody inside a business who has an idea, maybe, to start a new product or start a business within that business. Yeah. And that's pretty good. But from from my point of view, that's just doing your job. Hmm. You know, that's not that's not anything particularly special. You might end up getting promoted as a result of it, but that to me is not entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is where you have a real stake in the in the new business, for example. So what I did in terms of, I mean, it happened for me when I was working in Mars, taking techniques and tools that we'd developed inside logistics purchasing and turning them into an online freight exchange, basically. Right. So I was uh, I was one of the, the int- internet pioneers in 1999. <laughs> but coming back to the bit about entrepreneurship, 
what I did, and I think what you need to do is if you can't get a share of the business, because, you know, that's what you're really looking for when you're starting a business, you're looking to, to own it and to hopefully sell it at the end. Mm. And Mars, for example, keeps all of its businesses. It's a private company. Yeah, It doesn't let you have shares in a business. But what it would do is it would say, okay, I'm happy for you to rip your contract up. Go and do that. Tell us what you want to do, what how you want to be paid, what basis you want to be paid on, what are the key performance indicators. And by the way, tell us what you're giving up as a result of that. And so for me, a real entrepreneur is somebody who trades a bigger upside and he's willing to take some pain. So I cut my salary, for example, and I cut some of my benefits. But in rewriting my contract, when we hit certain key targets, I got paid a lot more. Yeah. So I had skin in the game. I was taking a risk. Mm. And that, to me, is what an entrepreneur really is. You're inside a business. You're not owning the shares, but you have not as big a upside as selling it for multi-millions, but you've got a significant upside. You're taking some pain. And it's not just the pain of it could go wrong. I may, may not, you know, I may not get as good a career path as possible. It really is the pain of saying, okay, I'll take less salary. I'll take less less of what I'm used to mm. um, to prove to you that I've got skin in this game and that I will do something about it and I'll work all the hours that, you know, God sends, so to speak, to get it to work. And, and, and that's what I did. And it was fortunate. It was, it was pretty successful. Mm. Didn't quite go where we wanted it to go, but it was pretty successful. And, and I learned so much. I can imagine. And it's interesting what you say there, Gary, Gary, about skin in the game, because it makes me think in jobs we have, very few people when you're working for companies, like, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I just think this through, but actually when you think about have skin in the game, they get, they've get they got a salary. I guess the skin is if they don't do their job, their salary might stop and they will be you know lose their job. But yeah. in terms of actually um, almost performance related, there is very little, unless you do have, you know, working sales, I guess when you've got commission, so it's a bit more. But yeah, it's a really interesting kind of point, which I haven't really considered before. But just tell us, take us back a little bit. I'm really curious how that happened. So you're working for Mars. When you joined Mars, had you already thought this is what something you wanted to do, you were interested in, and you knew they gave people opportunities to become entrepreneur, entrepreneurs and start different parts of a business? Or no, no, not really. Out? Not really. I mean, I'd, I'd worked for some of their competitors beforehand. They had a reputation of being a super employer. And they really are. They're superb employers. Their training is great. The way they treat people is great. Their salaries are good. Uh, I I was also one of the fortunate ones who had a, a non-contributory pension that was based on final salary. So, I mean, the, the benefits package with them at the time was, was superb. But it was a career path. You know, basically, you would come into Mars. And if you perform well, you could be working in different places in the world. You could rise up through their management ranks. And you could become a unit manager you know, or, or go off into their headquarters in McLean, Virginia as a staff officer or, or you know, be, be part of the, the real guiding team of, right. the, of the Mars business. The entrepreneurship really came, I mean, they, they, were always, they were always very creative about giving people freedom to act, hmm. but they hadn't really had that real entrepreneur approach. It was you would move, you'd do your job, you would either, be very successful and get promoted as a result of it, or it would fail and you would be back to where you were or doing something else. I was one of the first ones who actually had the conversation that said, I'll take some pain, but I want a bigger gain. Yeah. Yeah? And they were smart enough to say, yeah, we'll do that. We'll we'll go for it. We actually believe in it and we'll treat it and it will be a real business. 
And so the business was owned by Mars, but it was run by me. Uh, and I was very fortunate. I, I had a, a good t- dialogue with the family and I could pick the board members. The other thing they also said to me was, you can you can take people inside from inside Mars into this new company. Right. But they have to agree. You have to convince them. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're not necessarily going to be in the same kind of salary packages as you. They're not going to have to sacrifice things. They're, they are Mars employees. We want to treat them the same way. You're the one who's actually going to take the pain here because you get the biggest benefit. And that's what I liked. You know, I really like that idea of, okay, we'll sacrifice something to, to get the prize. And and basically it was, as I say, the tools and techniques that we'd been using and developing and I'd developed with my team to buy freight a, mm. around, uh, around the world. Uh, and the internet was just about becoming commercial then. You know, it was the days, unfortunately, in 1999, where you really did have to write the code. Mm. You know, there, there were there were no there were no square spaces and widths right. and stuff like that in the world. You, you know, people were writing HTML, and it was a very very new way of presenting computing, and it was a fabulous thing to do. Yeah. And like I say, you, you learn so much. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm sure it's a huge learning curve. But I'm also interested, you know, it takes a huge amount of courage and bravery to do what you did. Because, I'm, I mean, had you had any entrepreneurial experience up till now? I mean, did you know what you were letting yourself in for? Because I guess it shows a level of confidence in your own abilities that you felt, I can do this, I can be successful in this. And so the pain you were going to have to suffer, you were confident that you would be able to obtain the upside that you'd negotiated. Yeah, I mean, I... I hadn't really had any entrepreneurial experience other than watching and sometimes shadowing and and talking to my uncle because right. one of the things that Mars trained me to do is procurement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I became a very, very good buyer, as people told me, and some of my suppliers did, so it must have been okay. And I used to advise him about the way he could buy certain things inside his business and oh. how he could do that better. Mm-hmm. So we had those conversations and that dialogue going on all the time. Um, but I hadn't really had that entrepreneurial yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't in a situation whereby it was down to me, right? But I did think I had the confidence, and I had the confidence in the people I was picking and coming with me mm. that it would be successful, right? And you know something, I, I've always had a, a, a kind of phrase that I, I really have used time and time again, and I've said, if, if you come to a crossroads, take it, mm. yeah. You know, if somebody is is willing to go with you and say, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll I like that idea. Yeah, you, you mustn't live in regret. Mm. You mustn't be spending your life going, if only I had. Yeah. For me, it's it's about saying, well, if I can get what I want, I can do what I want, then let's do it. Because there's nothing sadder than a person who kind of gets to their 60s or 70s and says, if only I'd have done that. Yeah. I never wanted to be that person. Right. No, 100%. I, I, can, I think that's a great philosophy to have, Gary, as well. And it's kind of begs the question for me a little bit and i mean i don't think well i'm curious what you think really do you do you think some people how shall i phrase it is entrepreneurship something that everyone should do or are there certain people who maybe entrepreneurship is just not for them in your experience i i don't think there's anybody who couldn't be an entrepreneur okay i i really do believe that that well in in the in the words and the title of a, a book that i i really love and, and the person who wrote it is a personal friend anyone can do it right yeah because i don't think entrepreneurs are born mm-hmm. i don't think really they're made even though there are there are some very good courses about entrepreneurship it's about actually finding yourself in the situation having the courage to say i'm going to try this 
right. and being creative enough to be able to do it mm. without really putting massive amounts at risk, first of all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, not everybody's going to build a business, which is, you know, Tesla. Yeah. That's a fact. There are lots of people I see as entrepreneurs who are small business owners. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got they've got themselves and five or ten employees. And it may be a business that doesn't in the end sell for millions, but it provides a very, very good income for them. It's maybe something they can pass on or sell to to another company at one point when they want to retire. But yeah, I mean, I, I actually do believe anybody can do it. And there are lots and lots of ways of finding people who will help you do it. You know, there's, there's a very good community out there of, of mentors and groups, basically, often very local, who actually will share knowledge and share connections and, and and help you get on and do it. Now, of course, you know, people are people can be very concerned. They've got families, they've got you know, those responsibilities, they've got mortgages. But so many businesses start when people are working somewhere else as well. And instead of sitting down and watching TV, go and do a business. Yeah. No, I I think that's great. And I think also, you know, it makes me think of entrepreneurship again. It's it's actually entrepreneurship, you'll think about it's a great, not a safe way, but a, maybe a slightly safer way you could argue to get into entrepreneurship sorry entrepreneurship is a safer way to get into entrepreneurship potentially than just trying to start something from scratch because again with the example you have in your life mars you know i guess you could leverage their name you could leverage their contacts you could leverage you know your existing working relationships and it's not your like some people are trying to run a business on the side so they, they want to be careful they don't use their in current employers name and reputation things like that they've got to keep it very separate whereas you could overlap that quite safely so yeah it, it sounds like it's for those people who are in big companies as well i guess it's it's just finding the right company who who are willing to give you that chance and also have the right approach to it that they are they're not going to just turn around and say no no I, and go and do that somewhere else so it's uh yeah i guess that's how i think about it but is that your experience it, it, your lived experience yeah I, I agree it does lead that way because eventually you you do, even though if you're successful, they might be paying you lots of money. Eventually you do say, no, I want to own this. Yeah. I want to have complete freedom. Yeah, That's what this gives you. But entrepreneurship, with my definition, if you're in a big business, you'll be learning all the time mm. and you'll be able to talk to people. Mm. You know, People who are not financially qualified tend not to understand balance sheets right. and cash flow analysis and stuff like that. If you're in a big business and you're running something new, then – that's part of what you need. Yeah. And you've got people around you who have that experience. You have this wonderful team, you know, in a big business that generally you're getting support for because it's a new idea, it's a new product, it's an it's a new thing. Mm. And people want to be associated with that. They like being associated with success. Yeah. And so they very, very quickly tend to help you. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't a marketeer and I needed to market this product. And I had great advice. Mm. From the marketing guys inside right. Mars when we were first building the first business. You know, that's a real example. Yeah. Um, so lots and stuff like that. That's that's where the real benefits come from. Yeah. Of entrepreneurship. But I do I do agree with you. You're gonna get to the point where you say, Well, that was great, but Yeah. I guess that's also from Mars's perspective, they might have also, if they were kind of had enough foresight they might have thought well he might build this business for us but then he'll get the taste for entrepreneurship we might lose him so i guess it's yeah. a risk for them as well yeah interesting i i'm also really interested in those what you said about building your own team but taking mars employees so just share with us a little bit about those conversations you had and how they 
panned out? Was it easy to recruit people to come into your, you know, new business within Mars? Or yeah, I'm just I was interested in how that dialogue you worked out. Yeah, I mean it was it was relatively easy, but and what you're doing there, it's as as a leader or as an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, um, you're trying to create that vision. Yeah. As as a leader of a business, your job is really to create that vision and put it into people's heads and have them believe it. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you have to believe it yourself, otherwise sure. it's never going to be convincing. And that was the key to it. But then you look for the people who are really going to start doing stuff for you. I mean, you tend to find the people who have the ideas are actually probably the worst ones at delivering them. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. So, you know, you need to make sure that when you're putting that team together, you've got a doer. You've got somebody who actually can take that idea and go, yeah, this is what it looks like. This is this is how it's going to happen and make it exist, whether it's a service or a product. Yeah, I like to get somebody I call a foil as well. You uh-huh. know, somebody who, I mean, I have 9,000 ideas a day and 8,999 of them are complete rubbish. And I know they are, but I'm not really sure which one is. Mm. And my foil actually happened to be my CFO, who was working in Mars with me, one of the best management accountants I've ever met. Right. Still a very close friend. And he could look at me across the table and just raise an eyebrow and tell me I was being an idiot, (laughs) you know. And it was being capable of taking that kind of feedback from people as well and recognizing that you don't have a moratorium on all the good ideas Mm. you know so so getting a good finance person getting a good marketeer getting a good doer and then getting a good salesperson because whatever you're doing you've got to sell very often it's the entrepreneur or entrepreneur who does the selling first of all Mm. but if you've got a good salesperson and, and they're i do think to some degree they're born rather than made right because you know You've got to be the kind of person who's got massive resilience, mm. who is used to being told and accepting the fact that you get told no right. far more times than you get told yes. Sure. So if you start to build a team like that mm. and you're really aware of what you need, mm. whether it's an entrepreneur opportunity or an entrepreneur, those are some of the key people that you're looking for inside a business. And being very honest, being very open, communicating and saying, you know something, guys, you could be coming with me and this could fail, yeah. and we could have no jobs at the end of it, yeah? And what do you think? Yeah, And and it's just having that kind of spirit that says, okay, I'm ready for this. Yeah, I want to do this. Actually, I don't think it will fail. And I don't quite know where it's going to go afterwards, but mm. no, let's do it. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I guess I imagine certain people for that that conversation, it would scare the life out of them, but other people, yep. for them, it would really excite them, and they're the key people you're going to sort of take with you, aren't you? So it also sounds like, you know, you need to have a, certain level of self-awareness and humility to be able to say look i i know i this is what i'm good at but here's what i'm not good at and i need people to, to fill the fill the gaps that for me um and also yeah just be able to admit look i'm not very good at whatever xyz so i need to find people because otherwise we like to think we, we can do everything so yeah i guess it's having that kind of self-awareness when you're building a business all you've got to do is surround yourself by smart people you know that's that's the reality of it and not be scared of the fact that a lot of the people are brighter than you yeah, because that, that's what you want. Mm. I mean, it's, it's like I used to say in, in, in all the businesses, I used to love it when the sales guys earned an awful lot of money in commission right. and earned more money and took took home more money than me right? because they were really making me more wealthy. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's what they loved. Yeah, I can uh, That's great. Yeah. Never be scared of it. No, wonderful. Garrett, I want to switch gears a little bit and move to a bit further down your career because obviously you left Mars eventually 
after running that company for them. And then you set your own company up and then you actually went on to firstly merge your company and then eventually sell it. But I'm really interested in the acquisition process, especially given you've had both sides of it. You've been part of a merger where you've essentially been acquiring another business. And then you've also been on the other end where you've then sold your business to another company. So just talk us through uh, really what you learned from the the going through those experiences. Maybe you could start with both, or sorry, start with the initial merger, then you can go into the acquisition, or maybe you could just talk in general terms about the whole experience, whatever you feel is going to give us the best picture. Yeah, I don't don't think they're actually that different because mergers are, you know, you're bringing two things together and you're looking at the culture and, and, is it a shared vision, you know, when, when you're doing this? And also you're looking about how do the two businesses fit together in terms of people? Yep. How do they fit together in terms of the, the 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 management teams that are sitting there? Yeah. And that's actually not that different for from an acquisition. Now, in truth, I've never yet acquired a business and bought them in to a business. Okay. I've done a merger and I've been acquired. Right. One thing which is really, really important though, is recognizing what the jobs and what's going to what the new organization looks like particularly when you get to an acquisition i mean the last acquisition was a company that was was software business trade extensions an anglo swedish business uh, and it was bought by a us silicon valley unicorn right much much bigger than we were in trade extensions but the thing the merger had taught me was how to integrate businesses uh-huh. yeah and you have to be really, you have to be accepting. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Cooper, I mean, they were under a billion dollar valuation when they bought us. And it's it's public knowledge, so I'm not talking out of school. They bought us for $45 million in the end. Yeah. And it's recognizing where you belong in that merged company, that acquired company. I see. They want you for various reasons. It could be they want to buy your customer base. It could be they see you as an upset opportunity. It could be they just basically want to buy a competitor, for example. Um, we actually fitted into a very nice niche inside Cooper, something that they didn't have as a sourcing optimization company, really good tech and great people. Hmm. But you can't be precious about this. You have to understand that you're being acquired. Yeah. And truthfully, your way of working is probably different from theirs, and it was. But how are you going to be arrogant and try and disturb the ways of working of a company that's turning over a billion dollars, for example? Yeah, you don't. You basically say, I'm going to find a way to make my people fit into that organization. And that's what you do. And the CEO and the management team's job at that point is making that happen because you've got to do it. You know, you've taken their money. And now your job is to make sure that your company fits into theirs and it does it as seamlessly as possible. Mm. And you don't get precious about these things. Mm. You look after your people because that's important. You want them to stay and not just via via financial incentives. You want them to be there. You want them to get good careers. But, you know, just because you call something customer service and they call it something different, Mm. it's not different. Think about it. You're doing the same things. Yeah. You know, you're trying to produce something that customers want to buy and get delighted about using, period. Yeah. So actually, accept the fact you're going to put your people into their structures. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, to this day, the, the guys at Cooper say of all the acquisitions they did, the acquisition of trade extensions was the best one because that's what we did. Mm. We went, we're really good. The software's going to integrate. Bang, in we go. And truthfully, the other message I always give 
is, you know, the last thing you want is is a CEO who's hanging around. Mm. Yeah. I mean, my job was to integrate the businesses, integrate the software, make sure the people are happy, make sure it make it all work. Yeah. yeah? And then get the hell out of Dodge, as they say. I went earlier than I than I was contracted to do, but it was by mutual consent. Yeah. You know, it's I don't know whether you're a football fan, but you know, kind of wince when I see Alex Ferguson, the old manager of Manchester United, sitting up in the stands looking down on right. the new manager. <laughs> and you know, you really don't want to be the the Alex Ferguson. You don't want to be that ghost hanging around. You're not their dad. And you know, basically you've got to accept the fact that you need to get away. Mm. You need to you need to give everything you can. But get out of there. So for me, acquisitions are very much things. They're about people. Mm-hmm. The processes, generally, you fit into their processes. Yeah. But it is about making sure the people are comfortable. And, and pretty much everybody who came from trade extensions into Cooper is is still there and has, has got promoted a number of times. Right. And, you know, yeah. It's made more money out of it and done all those things. Um, and that's what the merger taught me. Right. Yeah, it taught me how to merge a business. And actually, a merger isn't that different from an acquisition. Okay, you've got the financial piece of it. You've got to talk about how the shares get sorted and stuff like that. But that's just detail, sure. quite frankly. It's about the outcome that's the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and the outcome is all about people. I love that, Gary. It's such a refreshing perspective because I've listened to many podcasts. There's a podcast, you know, you've probably read the book Buy to Sell. I listen to the podcast accompanying that and they interview different people who've, you know, sold their business or been acquired or, or have acquired other businesses. But a lot of the people I kind of heard on that podcast were very much only thinking about themselves. They were like, oh, how am I going to get my cash the quickest? How am I going to get out of there so I can retire quickest? Very few I can think of were talking about, I wanted to make sure my people were taken care of. I wanted to make sure, you know, even the, the buying company had the best experience possible as well. There wasn't really, I mean, maybe I'm doing a disservice, but I, I haven't really heard what you're sharing very much in the past, which I think is wonderful. And I yeah, I guess if this is a negative phrase. We, we normally use the, this sort of ordinarily but when i just hear you kind of saying you knew your place in terms of you know you were the small fish they were the big fish and you weren't trying to be again wrap your ego up around you know i've, I've built this company and too much pride you were like, okay this is what's happening and i'm going to make it work for everybody which is great i'm interested though in how you get that transition to be as smooth as you made it and what you learned specifically from the merger i mean did you do did you have a number of companies who you were looking to merge with and you chose this one specifically and the same with when they bought you did you have several companies trying to buy you and you cho- chose the one that eventually bought you for some reason or how does it work the, the first one that was a merger was um we we liked their software and it was complementary right. to our software I see. Uh, and so it became a marriage made in heaven and it was really really quite different as well it was it was a swedish company with a, a british company yeah and it was, I, I laughingly say, a bunch of academics, yeah. And and it was it was being very honest about it was the right time and the right place. Right. And you do find those, and you know, you do that. Sometimes you're fortuitous. Sometimes you say, "What does this business need that mm. I'm in now? How do I go and do that? Do I acquire a business?" And that thought went through my mind. Buy them. The other one is actually, do we just merge the two businesses together, mm. sort out the finances and the share ownership and everything else, and, and what the roles and responsibilities are? Right. So for me, the, the first the first merger was about it's it's a natural fit. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been looking around the marketplace, actually licensed the software from them, and then went, no, it's 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 a natural lock and key. Yeah. And so those things come about. The the second one 
which was the acquisition by Cooper of Trade Extensions. That was, it's a question, if I can just kind of digress a little bit. People often say to me, when do you know is it the right time to sell your business? Mm. Yeah. And it was the right time to sell trade extensions for very simple reasons. The marketplace was changing. We were operating in a niche of the, the procurement industry and in the supply chain industry. And there were lots of people who were now putting offerings together that were very broad right. yeah, and aiming at the customers that we wanted. Now, in our sector, we were the best at what we did. And we had a choice to make. Are we going to build out our offering to make it much broader? Or are we going to actually say, no, we're going to stay as a niche and we're happy as a niche and we'll mm. see what happens? Or do we say, where do we fit? Yeah. And we'd had two or three offers of people coming to us who were looking at broadening out or building or, or acquiring sourcing software, none of which met our, our estimates of value for the business. Right. And some of which, truthfully, we looked at the the management team and the people who were going to acquire us and thought, you know, something, number one, we're better than them. Yeah. Arrogance taken over, I guess, but it was true. Mm-hmm. And number two, they couldn't tell me where that where my business or our business really fitted inside their organization. Right. Yeah. And that was the question I asked, you know, why do you want to do this? Mm. And how does it fit? Mm. They didn't have a compelling story. Mm. The acquisition by Cooper was an interesting one because it was probably triggered by me more than anything else. Um, I'm not taking the credit for it. It just was Mm -hmm. because we sat there and said, you know, things could happen to trade extensions now. We could end up being completely wiped out by people who build, you know, an okay tool. Yeah. But it's much broader. And that's what people are looking for. And that would be a shame. It would be a shame that we lost our business Mm. because we weren't proactive about what we were doing and our egos got in the way. Right. And so we put our egos to one side and said, well, they really are growing fast. They're doing some really good things. I already knew some of the people inside Cooper. I've met them previously because right. the world is a small place. Yeah. And I actually contacted them and said, you know something? Your sourcing piece is rubbish. Ours is far better. We should actually work together. And so it started off as a partnership conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think very soon into that conversation, we both know it wasn't going to be a partnership. Right. It wasn't going to be two people trying to make money out of the same client. Yeah. It was going to end up with, you really need to buy us. It was as honest as that. Yeah. You know, quite frankly, if you want to be big in this marketplace, you've got this gaping hole in your offering. Our product is the best on the market. It will fit perfectly with you. Yeah. Let's actually do the right thing. Yeah. So it was it was engineered, but it was engineered for the purpose. And and it was, as I said, the right time. We were sitting there thinking, do we have the time and the energy to actually build out this this product we had? Yeah. And the other thing as well is it would have cost a significant injection of cash. Sure. And and we'd basically bootstrap trade extensions. Mm. You know, we we'd we'd taken, I mean, there was like a Right from the very start, before I was involved in the company, I think there'd been about a million euros put into it. Right. And that's all the money that was put into it by external investors, just a bunch of angels. And everything else, we we grew. Mm. Yeah, we, we grew organically. We reinvested. The business was profitable. Um, we made it that way, of generating positive cash. So it was a well-run business. Mm. But it, it, it just fitted. Yeah. No, it's, it's a bit we, like you said earlier. There was just, I think you, you gave your definition of, an entrepreneur, I can't remember if it was an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur now, but it was basically taking the opportunity when it presents itself. And, it, and yeah. you can see the writing was on the wall, it sounds like. And then you, you know, again, maybe not intentionally reached out to them with a view to selling it, but you could see that was a possibility. 
yeah, and they they could obviously see the, the same. So um, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, we've talked to you know about different parts of business, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship acquisitions, and I'm you know this is the intelligent performance podcast. So I'm just curious, what for you, or how would you define intelligent performance from your experience? I must admit, I had, I had a think about that when I saw the title of your saw, saw the title of the podcast. Yeah, and I, I, I did write some notes down for myself more than anything else because I I thought it was a great title. Right. Um, for me, it's it's having the right combination of of skills and knowledge, behaviours and attitude. Mm. Yeah, and it's taking a, a holistic approach. It's not one thing. Right. You know, intelligent performance to me, that the key word is is intelligent. Mm. Yeah. It's it's recognizing that it's all those things coming together. Yeah. It's it's not about data. It's not about strategic thinking alone. It, it's not about adaptability, flexibility, or or leadership and teamwork. It's all those things and making the right decisions mm. and making intelligent decisions. Mm. And that's what leads to performance. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's having the strength and the, the ability to look at something in a holistic fashion, mm. is what I would say. Yeah. I like ask other people that question. <laughs> we have, yeah. And it's interesting that we get different answers each time. But um, no, I like that. And I think it's, I like what you're saying about intelligence leads to performance. I mean, asking the right questions, making the right decisions, again, naturally leads to to high performance. So it's uh, about creating value, really. Right. That's that's what it's about. Yeah. No, I love that. Great, Gary. Well, um, we'll start to wrap up, but I'm, I wanted to talk a bit about your book. So you've just published a new book, 50 Golden Rules, The Beginner's Guide to Entrepreneurship. And you know, fifty rules is a lot of rules. So I'm I'm really interested to know which of the fifty rules is one that maybe you'd wish you'd learned earlier. And I might just then I've got a separate question, so I think I'll just keep them separate. So what? Well, I'll ask both now. But one is like, well, yeah, which is the one you'd learn? Wish you'd learned earlier in your life. And the other is what would have made the biggest difference to you to know earlier. So I guess the same kind of question, but just phrased differently. Ooh, um, I I think right now asking that question about which is the most important rule mm. there's one i wrote there about building partnerships yeah yeah partnerships and alliances and it's it's recognizing that the way you can grow a business and scale a business effectively and and get get the best out of it is recognizing that other people have got stuff that are is useful to you you know it's it's not about competition very often it's about collaboration and it's about a shared benefit and so I think a lot of people miss the idea that partnerships are really good. You know, if, if you if you're partnering with a company which is bigger than you, with a sales force in place, and they can really see the benefits of offering your software or offering your service through them, suddenly you've got a broader sales force mm. that you're not paying for. Yeah. And you've got the marketing behind you. But it has to be beneficial to both parties. Because partnerships, you know, they 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 crash and burn by the side of roads. Mm. Yeah, it's just most of them really don't work because people don't work on them, and you have to work on them. But partnerships are really key to building and scaling a business, I think, and that's something that I didn't learn early enough. Right. Yeah. Um, there, there was the the arrogance first of all that said, "No, we're good. Yeah, mm -hmm. we can do this." And actually, you saw competition where there wasn't really competition. Yeah. And actually, you missed the opportunity of partnering with somebody because you thought they would steal something from you rather than add something to you. Yeah. Yeah. Did I answer both questions at the same no, time? No, I think you did. I think you did, for sure. That's great. Mm. Gary, I think your uncle, we've got a lot to be thankful to your uncle for sharing that nugget with you when you were eight. You know, given what you've gone on to achieve, the contributions you've made to so many people, I'm sure, in the businesses you've worked in and continue to work with now. So, yeah, what a 
a fascinating kind of um yeah journey you've, you've shared with us today so thank you um really appreciate you spending the time with us today um gary's book is available on amazon we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes 50 golden rules gary thanks for your time today you're very welcome it's been a real pleasure thank you